welcome. It's great to have you all here. It's great to have a lot of innovators here, including some young ones. You know, you know it's, it's hard, though, to be a young inventor. And can you imagine if uh, Thomas Edison had inv invented the light bulb while he was a kid? His mother probably would have said, of course I'm proud of you for inventing the light bulb. Now turn it off and get to bed. <laughs> so. Well, it's time to turn it over to someone who always supports great inventions. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. I love robots, but one thing about robots is they always have to have a battery, don't they? Until now. I want to show you a new little robot that has no battery. In fact, it doesn't use electricity at all. Check this out. This is a pneumatically controlled robot, which means that it uses air, pressurized air, to control itself. And it can actually walk all without electricity. It's pretty amazing, but how did they do it? First, they had to figure out the, the pattern of the legs for the robot. And, man, it's really raining out there. <laughs> 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 but they had to figure out the pattern for that walk, and so they studied animals. And you know, if you've ever seen a turtle walk, if I get down on my hands and knees, you can see, actually, change my mind. Let's watch a video. <laughs> It'll be better. <laughs> okay, so watch the way that the legs move on this turtle. You can notice how opposite legs move together, in a way. And so they took that and applied that to the movement of their robot. Here it is in slow motion. See how opposite legs move? one way and then the other. So now here's their robot, and again, the opposite legs move the same way, and they cycle the air pressure between three different tubes in each leg. And so one at a time, one of those tubes fills up while the others relax, and it makes the leg move one way, and then it cycles to the next one, and it starts moving the other way, and so they have that pattern going constantly. But the big question is, how do you control that if you don't have some computer brain, you know, deciding, okay, now turn this one on, now turn that one on, now turn that one on. They did it instead with valves. Let me show you a little diagram of one of their valves. And you can see how on one side it shows how it's open on the bottom and closed on the top. So it's letting air go through one way. And then on the other side, it's switched around where it's open on the top and closed on the bottom. So uh, these valves can automatically switch on and off, changing which chamber is getting the air and which is not. And they have it set up in such a way that that pressure uh, is what's triggering it. So just from the air pressure, it's going through this cycle of walking. And uh, that's pretty neat when you think about it to do without any electricity at all. Here's another video of the robot kind of navigating around an obstacle and they're actually changing uh, a valve that changes which, which legs move when and how they move. Check this out. See it's kind of moving to the side and then once it gets past that it walks forward. There it goes. <laughs> Crawling away to save the world, right? <laughs> And uh, you'll notice that this time they have a tube hooked up to it, and that's how they're actually deciding which way to move. And I'm going to show you one more video where uh, they put a sensor on the front. That's what you saw in the picture. And as it's moving and it bumps into something like this cinder block, then it triggers a change in the movement of the legs by changing that air circuit and the order that the, the tubes in the wheel, in the, not the wheels, <laughs> the legs fill up. And so uh, they're doing that all with little air valves and control. And usually when we think about, uh, you know, smarts, we think about electricity and computers and how we have electricity going through transistors making things happen. Well, it turns out that all the same kind of logic could be done with air, only it would be a lot harder to implement, wouldn't it? And um, in fact, the first computers, at least conceptually, were mechanical. They didn't have any electricity, and it was just these movements, you know, uh, you have ones and zeros, and then you do operations. If you have two ones, you do something. If you have a zero and a one, then you do another thing. And that kind of logic 
is possible with all kinds of uh, different things, including air. Uh, now, you're probably thinking right now, what in the world would this be useful for, right? <laughs> well, it would make a really good toy, right? <laughs> you know, a little air-powered uh, toy. Uh, but they also are saying that something like this might be useful in situations where electricity might be hazardous, like in a mine shaft or something where uh, there would be the chance of causing a spark or something like that. And so air-powered might be useful in that scenario with a robot. Uh, but this same kind of concept is bigger than just uh, pneumatic control where they use air. In fact, NASA has been studying the possibility of using mechanical computing for rovers to send to Venus. Venus is a kind of interesting place. If really, really hot is interesting, it can get up to you know, around 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Really, really toasty and probably even warmer in some places. And it gets so hot that it's really hard to make electronics that would function there for very long at all because they would get too hot. And so they have some ideas of how they could make a mechanical computer that would actually be able to function for quite a long time. Let me show you an artist's rendition of this mechanical computer. And you're probably thinking, if you're like me, the first thing I thought, well, it'd be really great to have it drive around, but then what? How does it send the data if it has no electricity? So they have this great idea where there's a reflector that changes, and they are essentially sending Morse code back to a radar that's hitting it from an orbiting satellite. And they get that signal back by changing the reflection. <laughs> I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but you realize that there are things that can be done thinking out of the box that wouldn't be possible with our normal electronics. And if you think about it even more, you realize that we're not really powered by electricity, are we? <laughs> In fact, a lot of really the smartest things around us are powered by different processes. And um, we are very, very focused on our electronic computers because they're so powerful and they're easy for us to make all those transistors packed into a tight space. But this gets you thinking out of the box. And you know, I guess it shows that maybe it's not always bad to be full of hot air, right? You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and that's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. You know, language can be a challenge, especially language with other places that you go and you don't speak the language. Have you ever, has that happened to you? You just, you're there in a, a place and everybody speaks a language that you don't know? That happened to me uh, just a little while ago, actually. I was at Starbucks. <laughs> and if my translator doesn't come with me, my wife, then I just go in there, an innocent person wants some coffee. I'll just go up and say, hey, can I get a small coffee? And she's like, oh, okay, you want a tall drop, hun? I'm like, a tall, no, I want a small, tall is small. <laughs> tall, small, tall guys, okay? <laughs> but I didn't know that you have to go in there and be like, excuse me, can I get a white marble mocha macchiato with two extra shots, one less pump, cinnamon whipped cream on top, and a straw? <laughs> okay, most of you were like, what did he just say? Some of you, though, were like, he said that wrong, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, deal with it. But language is a challenge, okay? So we are gonna talk about language, but something completely different than, than that, something that changed the world, and that is language with us and computers. And like Dr. John talked about, computers speak that ones and zeros language. I mean, what kind of signal can you send down a wire at a time? One piece of signal at a time, you can turn it on, you can turn it off, ones and zeros. So being able to communicate to computers means we somehow have to take our language or what our commands and translate it into this ones and zeros language for computers. So we're gonna jump back to the early 1900s and we're gonna talk about Grace Hopper. And she was um, a professor, a math professor. And when World War II happened, she enlisted and joined the military. 
and she joined the Navy. And they gave her an assignment to work on a new computer. In fact, it was our first real big computer. This is the early 40s, and it was at Harvard called the Mark I. And she goes in there, and this is what it looked like. It was 54 feet long, eight feet deep, and eight feet tall. Okay, this was the pocket-sized version. <laughs> um, that was the computer. And what was this computer for? It was to run really advanced calculations, things like information about how far a missile would go, how to calculate where it's going to hit, the amount of time it would take to get there. So it really important calculations. And they needed to take math equations, really big advanced math problems basically, and input it into the computer. Now her job involved converting these, these math equations into binary. And again, the on-off one-zero language. And the way that they did it was with paper, and they would make holes, physical holes in the paper to signify a one, and no hole to be a zero. So here's a picture of her create, they had these rolls of paper, and they would punch holes into the paper, and that would signify a one and so forth. So once you get your program written, and a program could be like almost an entire book size. Um, of this paper, it, huge, and if you, if you write part of it wrong, um, the computer would start running it and then it'd just stop. And you'd have to get it out, try and figure out where you went wrong, okay, converting it over. Did you put a hole in the wrong spot? Did you not put a hole there? What if something somehow got, got in? In fact, we, we do have to stop and mention real quick, she was coding once um, the Mark II, which was one a little later, with these holes and the computer stopped because there was a problem and they went to look, how are they gonna find what's wrong, and there was a moth that had flown in to the paper roll and gotten stuck in the gears. So she took it out, and up to this point, the term bug in computer coding, um, the theory is the term bug had been said before, but no one had said debug. So she took it out and she taped it, if you look at this picture, in her notebook, and wrote, this was the first actual case of debugging. And there's the moth, and it's now in the Smithsonian. So it's a very famous moth. <clears throat> but this was really, really tedious, and it took a lot of effort, a lot of time to run one program and to write the program before you ran it. And then there was a lot of problems with it, and it just was a lot of work. Well, she went on to work for part-time for a company called Univac, and at that company, she was working on another computer. But this time, she had an idea of what if we made kind of this middle uh, entity where between the computer and the programmer that would take some of the language, our language jargon, the words, and convert it into these ones and zeros instead of the programmer having to do each thing manually, converting it into ones and zeros. So she uh, worked with some of the engineers there, and this is her working uh, at the computer, and she's named this thing, now the thing she's sitting at is part of the actual computer that they had, but she created what she called a compiler, and it's what you could use to input your code, and it would help convert it. And unfortunately, they did not pick up on it, and frankly, they didn't think that you could even make something like that. Um, so it stayed being a very elite group of people that could actually do this kind of thing because it was so advanced. But they told her, finally, okay, tell you what, we will ship our Univac or deliver it to customers with your compiler as an option. So it'll come with it, and if they want to use it, they can, and nobody used it. Um, nobody really knew about it, or at least what it could do, until one of the Univac customers, a chemistry company, um, had a, a scientist slash engineer who was given an assignment. We want all of these experiments run through the Univac computer, and a super impossible deadline to have it done. And he knew he could not get all of this, this math done in time, doing it the convert math into binary ones and zeros process. And then he remembered this program that came with it that no one had ever tried. So he decided to try it. Well, he got done early, and he got a raise um, by the company. And all of a sudden, this, this thing started to pick up some some actual, okay, interests of people using it. And they would take this a step further and she would work, she actually retired from the Navy at age 60. And then the Navy said, hey, guess what? We could have you come back 
and you could help train and help us with this new language that she had worked on creating with a team called COBOL. And this is her training them and they wanted it standardized. And COBOL stood for Common Business Oriented Language. And basically it was an actual computer programming language that would take human words in our language that actually made sense to what you want the computer to do and it would convert those into information that the computer could read. So for example, um, if you wanted to give a command to show something on the screen, the word display was used in COBOL. So all of a sudden, instead of knowing the ones and zeros and the, the process of ho holes in a card that you had to make to tell it, put something up on the screen, you could actually give this word display. That's a lot easier to memorize. And it started to become something that a lot more people could start to learn and you could program a lot more quickly. A, f a quote that she was known for was, the most dangerous phrase is we've always done it that way. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but COBOL and really what it did um, would help to open up programming and computer, the computer industry as we know it today. And COBOL is still used in some facets of the computer industry still. So, so if you're working on a project and literally like the worst thing that could happen happens, like a bug flies right into your machine, destroys your program, you can just go or you can go, I'm going to save this for the Smithsonian. <laughs> Thank you. All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. Hold them. These are hydrogen balloons. Yeah. Watch how they float. No, put them down lower because you're off camp. There you go. Okay, make them float up. <laughs> Tell me if I go, they're not going to go. Look. There. Can we kind of zoom in on me? <laughs> that was good. All right. Well, I have really waited for today because I've wanted to talk about what we're going to talk about today for a very, very long time. And to me, it's a... I'll hold them. Here. Let, let me take the blue one. They're intertwined right now. Okay. No, it's all right. This doesn't our colors, though. That proves it. It is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a very long time. And it's called Gold Key. See that? Can mm -hmm. you read that? Can you zoom in close? There it is. Gold Key. Whoops. Oh. <laughs> All right, you got that? Gold Key. So if you open up this neat little package and you pull out this little device, you see a gold key. Hmm? There it is, it's a key dangling. I'd like to show you a photograph of a gold key. Zooming up a little bit. There it is, that is a gold key plugged into the USB port of a laptop. And the interesting thing about gold key is this is a dream of mine come true. Would you like to hold this? I would. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna let me, are you? <laughs> You get the package. Oh, how special. Gold key. <clears throat> you know, for years and years and years, we've been using computers. And I, I have to pick up a little bit on the things Tobias was telling us. Uh, this, this person that he described was an amazing mathematician and a very brilliant person that changed so much of the world that we enjoy today. Uh, it's interesting that one person could contribute so much to, to the world and to especially computer science. But this program, COBOL, this was a program that was very good for someone that was trying to write a program to do business, to do accounting and things like that. And in the very, very early days of the microcomputer industry, when I made the Billings computer, 
I really wanted to have the COBOL language on my computer so that people could write programs for business. And some of you remember the story about how I flew down to Albuquerque, New Mexico, <clears throat> where a new little company consisting of one person and a friend had formed called Microsoft. And Bill Gates agreed to write a COBOL language compiler for my little Billings computer as one of, of the four projects he did for me. And that COBOL was then used to write a whole accounting program for the Billings computer, which is really a neat thing. COBOL, amazing language. We also did Fortran, we also did MacroAssembler and Basic. But getting involved in the computer industry at that stage gave me a lot of insight. And you know, one of the things that I like to do is I like to, to predict where things are going to go. I like to be able to see where are we going to be in a few years. We're here today. This is what's happening. But what's, what's going to happen a few years down the road? John Hansen, my dear friend and founder of Winnebago, now deceased, used to say that he liked to talk to me because he thought I could see tomorrow better than most. <laughs> and I, I could have embellished that a little bit. See tomorrow better than anyone, for example. <laughs> but no, he said better than most. But it is interesting because if you can kind of see where things are going, then you know what to develop. Now, if, if you look at my career back in, in high school, I built the hydrogen car. Mm -hmm. Well, first the hydrogen lawnmower engine, then the hydrogen car, and it's taken 50 years, but now hydrogen cars are really starting to take off. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of electric cars go into production, but in a recent study done by the um, 1,000 executives of the major auto companies, they consistently agree, over 70%, that the real future of the auto industry is going to be hydrogen. And hydrogen is going to push batteries out. And they give a couple reasons why. One is because hydrogen cars can be refueled very quickly, whereas batteries charge slowly. Second of all, hydrogen is much lighter to store as, as a liquid, for example, than our batteries. And uh, then you also have the issue of the metals being used in the batteries and, and even some of the waste. So uh, a lot of people right now are starting to get really excited about hydrogen cars. And, you know, that's really great. My patents expired 30 years ago. <laughs> the good news is I have a bunch more. But uh, you know, that's called a little bit too far ahead. <laughs> You know, so, but it, it's fun to try to see where things are going. One of the things that I became very interested in about 18 years ago was computer security. <clears throat> I realized that we're starting to use computers for everything, for our banking, for our shopping, for keeping our private uh, photographs, documents, and so forth. And security is a really, really big concern. <clears throat> and I want to talk a lot about computer security and a technology that we have been developing for those 18 years, which I call Gold Key. And you say, well, why did I call it Gold Key? Because it looks gold. Mm -hmm. it, it is gold, in fact. It's gold. But, you know, there's, there's a, a lot more story to this. Do you know what a trademark is? You do. What's mm -hmm. a trademark? A trademark is a mark that you register with a certain organization. So it's like your brand. It's like your brand. Uh -huh. A brand so that whenever it's called by that brand, people know that it's yours. Google's mm -hmm. a brand. Microsoft is a brand, a trademark. Right. They're registered with the United States Trademark Office. Mm -hmm. And if you get it registered as a, and approved as a trademark, then nobody else can use it. And so people know this is a real Microsoft program. Um, and it's, it's an important part of commerce. Well, I have a trademark called Gold Key. Mm -hmm. I also have a trademark called Gold. That's kind of a strange trademark, isn't gold. it? I got gold. You got the trademark of gold. Are you being serious? <laughs> I do. I, <am. laughs> I trademark the word gold. 
Now, some people say, you can't do that. <laughs> I did. Look it up. <laughs> Google it. Yeah, pto.gov. There it is. Gold. I own the trademark gold if it has to do with security. So, like, this is a security token. So, if it's called gold, <laughs> it's mine. I really like gold. It's kind of cool. But I think gold is actually very important. Uh, for thousands of years, gold has been the most reliable currency used on this planet. People have used gold to, to buy things. They've used it like money to pay for things. And some of you know that in our Constitution, talks about gold for paying debts. We've issued gold coins in this nation. Mm -hmm. Haven't done so for a little, but we still, even today, issue gold coins like the... Uh, American Eagles. Like the American Eagles. I was going to say the Krugerrand, but that would be South Africa. No. <laughs> and also uh, the, uh, the Buffalo, mm -hmm. uh, Buffalo gold coin, which is pure, pure, pure one ounce of gold. Gold is a, is a very interesting metal. It's, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. It's interesting to science. You can pound gold with a hammer so thin that you can see through it. And it's used for all kinds of scientific experiments. Another thing about gold is it doesn't tarnish. It doesn't rust. It doesn't corrode. And so it's a very, very precious metal. But I think gold is a really good idea for things like cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. We have cryptocurrencies today like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a, uh, an invention of somebody, and, and people can't agree on who it really is or if we even know who it was, but someone wrote a paper about this way of, of having a currency and how you mine for it and how people have them. And Bitcoin is a big deal now. A lot of people are into the you know, yep. the Bitcoin, but really there's no such physical thing as a Bitcoin. It's just something in a computer. But a currency based on gold is very intriguing and interesting to me. And I thought the day may come when we would need to have a cryptocurrency based on real gold. And I have been kind of preparing for that. But the idea of making computers secure Making communications, making transactions secure is an idea that uh, we really need. I like to say it's an idea whose time has come. We better figure out how to do this. Now, the way we do most of our security on computers today is with a thing called PKI, Public Key Infrastructure. And this is a technology that's over 40 years old. It was being developed about the same time I was building my first hydrogen car. In the computer industry, four years is a lifetime. <laughs> 40 years yeah. is too long. And it it's is. been around a long, long, long time. And it's starting to really show signs of aging. And if you notice, you, you routinely hear about somebody getting hacked. Hear about they broke in here, they broke in there. This week, people hacked into video surveillance cameras all over. And so people's private videos were available to these hackers. People break in all the time. And it's a real problem. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of the people that are breaking in are really not doing all of the disruption that they could because I think they're waiting for opportunities and they're starting to try to make money inappropriately that way. It's, it's a crime to hack a computer. And it's a very, very serious one. And with the internet being the way it is, we can hack people on another continent, in another country. The internet goes everywhere. And so it brings any mal actor or bad player right to your door. And I think it's something we should really, really be concerned about. We decided, when I say we, I'm talking about uh, Dr. John and I and a group of us here, that security of a computer is one of the most urgent needs that we have, and we better, we better get it figured out. So we said, what if we were to start from scratch and figure out the right way to secure a computer? 
a way that would be very, very more definitive than things we're doing today. If you sign into a Cellus, you sign in with a, an ID and with a password. And that's kind of the way computers have been for a long time. But that's not nearly secure enough. And so we've been working on better ways of doing it. Now, the parents of students on the Cellus Academy sign in to look at their students' progress using Gold Key. Yeah, and all the teachers that okay. teach on the cellus sign in with Gold Key. Mm -hmm. So this little technology that I'm talking about is already being deployed and has been for quite a while. And I want to tell you a little bit about it. I'd like you to understand what it is about Gold Key and what's happening because this is my main project right now. This is the main thing that we're working on. and. Uh, uh, Dr. John and I happen to be the co-inventors of a technology we called B-squared cryptography. And it is a way of securing computers and the internet that we think is going to help save the day. And I want to tell you a lot about that. I'd like to start by showing you a video about the uh, Gold Key technology. Gold Key Corporation has been a pioneer in the research and development of high-tech networking and security products since 1994. Gold Key is the developer of Gold Key Security Tokens, one of the cutting-edge technologies manufactured in its U.S.-based factory. Gold Key specializes in providing security as a service for businesses. Services include shared access to encrypted files stored in the cloud, secure phone and email communications, secure backup, and advanced two-factor authentication. These features are available to users through the Gold Identity System. Gold Identity is the new way to secure your internet experience. Unlike username password systems, users can sign in to participating websites with a security token or with a downloaded soft token. Once a user has created their personal gold identity, they can securely sign into web services and share encrypted files with friends and associates. The gold identity web and Okay, so you're getting the idea? This is a technology that I think is going to change a lot of things. Now this little video I was showing you is one that we use for customers in Gold Key. And Gold Key has been marketing these for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And we have sold these to many, many people. A lot of very prestigious organizations are using Gold Key to secure their computers. But we haven't launched yet. This is a company that is in pre-launch. It's kind of like neighbors. You know, it's, <laughs> it's pre-launch. It won't be out officially until April. Some of you have started using it early. And that's what they're doing with Gold Key. Gold Key is getting very, very close to being ready to be launched. And I wanted to kind of give you an insight so that you'd you kind of be ahead of what's going on here. Can you hold that for me? Mm -hmm. Do I try? Yes, please. You trust if me. If you hold that, that's a gold key. I want to pull out another token. Oops. Stay. Okay, good. Big fetch hill. Now, I don't know how well we can pick this up on our camera, but uh, hers is gold and mine's silver. And the difference is, I have a master key, and she has a gold key. In gold key, master keys manage gold keys. In fact, I've got a slide to show you, a master showing that it can manage an unlimited number of gold keys. So if I was going to use gold key in my school, like Acellus, I would have a master key so I could manage all of the people that have the gold keys. And I can have as many gold keys, I can have millions of gold keys all managed by one master. Wow. Okay? That is part of this technology. And then there is another key, which is called a grandmaster. And a grandmaster can manage any number of masters. And by having this hierarchical management scheme, it gives us a hardware way of locking the uh, computer world that is, I think, going to be kind of revolutionary. I have a slide that shows all three here. Isn't that great? So mm -hmm. that's the gold key in the front and then the master key and the grandmaster. So this is, is the hierarchy, and like I say, people are using this. This technology is being used by the military of 26 countries, including our own US military. It's being used by NASA. It's being used by 
a lot of different organizations. And interestingly, and it's been used by Celis, if you go to the Golki uh, website, you'll find that it's there and you can find out a little bit about it. Not very much. We don't say too much, mm -hmm. but you can't really buy it because we're not really selling it. We're only selling it to the customers we brought on because we're getting any, everything ready. Now, eventually, uh, we want everybody to have a gold key. Now, I just happen to be carrying around a gold key in my wallet. And isn't it great how, uh, oh, there oh, you can see it. This right is a, a gold <laughs> key in a card form factor. And I wonder if they saw how good looking that picture is. <laughs> I was trying to tell You can them. see I photoshopped this. <laughs> I got it off neighbors. You see, if, you, if I twist this just right, you can oh, see yeah. the little hologram mm -hmm. on top. So this is a special card that is very hard to mutilate or to replicate. But this is my personal identity. And that's the first thing I'd like you to understand today is that uh, trying to remember the username and password for every website you go to is really, really hard. That's why mine is R, that's my username, and my password is 1234. Wow, you just told Did I let that out? <laughs> but you know, uh, too many people use the same password for every site they go to. Bill Gates pointed out that is one of the biggest vulnerabilities of the internet today. Because you can say, would you like to come to my site? You'd like to look at things on my site? Okay, create an account. Put in your username and password. So you put in your username and password, and I've now got them. So I can go to your bank. I can go to every place you use that username and password. Not cool. It just doesn't work. And yet, how are you supposed to remember thousands of usernames and different passwords? And that's where Gold Key comes in. The first thing you do with Gold Key is you get yourself a universal ID. By universal, it means you get yourself an ID, ID that you can use everywhere. Everywhere you go on the internet and even more. I believe the day will come, and it's not too far away, when you'll use a Gold Key to start your car. You'll use a Gold Key to unlock your home or your office. I even think we'll use a gold key to identify you to get onto an airplane. So uh, I'm kind of pleased to announce that we have just acquired a, a website I'm kind of excited about. It's cyberid.com. Uh, this is a cyber identity. And this one happens to be mine. <laughs> and it's protected by gold key. But I think every person in the near future will want to have a cyber identity so that as they go into neighbors, into a cellist, everywhere else, you'll be able to always know that no one can get into your account but you and that whenever you go to your bank or, or go to shop somewhere, they know that it's you and not somebody else trying to use your money or your credentials. So every Acela student will soon have a cyber ID. All of the parents that have gold keys, all of the teachers already have them. They got it when they got their gold key. And uh, this, I think, is going to be something that's going to catch on and it's going to be really important. And now, how in the world does this work? We talk about uh, B squared cryptography. And these two tokens are actually very powerful computers inside of here. These computers have their own random number generator. They have the cryptography, the ability to, to do very advanced military-grade encryption. But there is something about these tokens, these two tokens, that makes them entangled. And that's kind of an interesting term, which I won't get into into too much detail. But what it means is, if I put this in one computer, and I put this one in another computer halfway around the world, and they connect over the internet, that they can create a secure communication link, and they both know who the other person is. 
And that's really the magic of what you need to build a whole security infrastructure, and that's what GoldKey does. And so we have uh, telephones that use GoldKey to make secure phone calls. Mm -hmm. That way you know who you're talking to and you know it's private. Uh, we have a mail system that we can sell, send secure emails to each other. Yep. Now, email is a real interesting thing. Uh, in 1976, Billings Computer Corporation released the Billings email system. Really? It was pretty early. Now, <laughs> we didn't have the internet, so if you wanted to send an email to someone, you'd have to pick up your phone, you'd dial the number of the other person's computer, and then you'd stick the headset in the modem, and it'd and they'd talk with tones over the phone, and you'd send your emails. Wow. It's a little neater to just be on the internet, but we did. That's still neat, so we had, And we called it email, by the way. And so it's been around a long time. However, email is one of the biggest problems with internet security today. We have standards by which we do email. For example, one of the standards is if you're going to send someone an email, you need an email address, and it has to be in the format of somebody at... Mm -hmm. meaning ampersand, and then their domain, goldkey.com or whatever the domain is. has to be in that format or you can't send an email. Unfortunately, when we created the Internet, no one had any idea it was going to get this big and that everybody would be on it, and we made it to be completely open, which means if we made it so it can't really be secured. And when we made email system, we made them the same way. Did you know that when I send an email, because of the nature of the standards of how email is based, I can send an email from anybody I want. I could send an email to them, and I could say it's from you. Well, that would be nice. And without even knowing your email account, I just put it in there, goes, and they say, oh, look, it's from Peugeot. Oh, that wasn't very nice to say. <laughs> and that happens wow. all the time. About 70% of the computers that get hacked, the people that break in, break in by getting you to open an email and click on an attachment. And that's how they get control of your computer. To open an attachment, you're giving your computer permission to do whatever that program says. And they put garbage in the program that takes control and digs in so you can't get them out. And so it is a real, real problem. And people have tried all sorts of things to prevent this. We have boxes that are called firewalls. Mm -hmm. They put them at, at a bank or at an organization, at a school. So as the internet comes through, it has to go through the firewall. And if there's any malware, if there's any bad stuff in the message, it'll screen it out. But people are too clever. They have a firewall. They, sit and study how to get it through there undetected. And they do. And so that's why we have so many computers in this world that are infected. I read a report a few years ago that said that they estimated 60% of all the computers in America have some malware infecting wow. them. That's more than half. That's a lot. And that's scary because people are able to do all sorts of things. How do you fix it? How do you fix an email system that by the very, very standard is broke? It's not secure. And I want you to know, you heard it right here, because this is something the world doesn't know yet. But guess what we're up to? We're getting rid of email. We are. It's going away. At least so say I. Right? <laughs> and I'm saying that doing email like it is, is broken. And I don't think anyone is even close to having an idea how to fix it. It's flawed. It's just completely flawed. And so we're coming out with a new thing that we call StarMail. And it's a replacement for the vulnerable email. Have any of you heard of StarMail? Sounds kind of, you know, Elon Musky, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Yep. Is he on the stars? At least starships. But this is how it works. When you address an email with Starmail, instead of putting Page A 
at science.edu, you put page star or asterisk science.edu. And what does that mean? That means it doesn't go over the regular email system. It doesn't work with the regular email standards. That's right. It works with gold key. Yay. And the result is you know who it came from. They can't spoof and pretend that they're somebody else. You know that nobody tampered with it, and you know that nobody's read it except you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be very important for business, yes. <laughs> for banks, mm -hmm. for education, and for people. Exactly. Privacy. Yeah. Do you believe in privacy? I sure do. I think that privacy is, is something that's very important. Mm -hmm. We should be able to have privacy. Some things are just private. Mm -hmm. And so StarMail will give you that privacy. Now, someone's going to immediately say, wait a minute. So I've got a lot of friends out there, and if I change over to StarMail, so I'm R mm -hmm. at Science Day to you. R. I like R. You made it up. I know. <laughs> R. <laughs> I haven't got used to it yet, but you know, anything. But if they send me an email and I'm on StarMail, their email, which is my old email address, comes to the StarMail interface server. And it responds and sends them back a message and says, guess what? Page has upgraded to StarMail. So if you want to reach her, here's her StarMail address. If you don't have StarMail yet, here's where you download. So they can do it. They can still get you an email. Or you can still use your old one. But your old like one Star is Mail. going to bring in the viruses yeah. and the things you don't want. Now, for somebody to sit here with this huge computer industry and say, yeah, going to revolutionize email, a lot of people are laughing. And it reminds me of the day in 1976 when I announced that we were going to do a client server thing that would replace all the mainframes. And they laughed at me on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Ha, ha, ha. And they quoted me. I don't know where they got this particular quote, because I don't think I ever said this. In fact, I'd look up and see what it means. But <laughs> he says he's going to give a lobotomy to mainframes. Well, that's in the Wall Street Journal. That's not a good thing. But anyway, <laughs> look what's happened to mainframes. Client-server computing has taken over. And yeah, I had the patent on that, which I'm very proud of. I think it's one of the biggest technological achievements of my career thus far. And now with StarMail, we can do something really amazing by making these communications secure. And there's no way to do something like StarMail unless you have a foundation technology like B-squared cryptography, which we have in Goldkey. So what do you think about that? I love it. I All right. In fact, it opens up the door to a lot of things. Part of the gold key ID is what I call the trusted internet. Right now, the internet gives you everything, the good, bad, and, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like having a pipe coming into your house and you can turn on the faucet and fill your glass and take a nice drink and it brings in water, nice pure water mixed with sewer. You know, right now we have water coming in, sewer going out. But what if it all came in the same pipe? And that's what the internet is today. Mm -hmm. It's okay. just, it's got it all in there. And so you, you don't even hardly dare turn on the faucet or drink it. Well, the idea of the trusted internet is possible once you get a technology like B-squared cryptography. And the way that it works is anybody that is willing to say, I will be a good player. I will take precautions to make sure that no one using my computer is putting garbage or attacks or any of these other things on a computer, then you can be on the trusted internet. Now the trusted internet comes over the same fiber, over the same internet, except you can only see the stuff that is trusted. And you say, well, who in the world would want that? 
Well, there's quite a few parents that would like it for their students. Mm -hmm. And so they are able to get one of our lockdown computers that already has the trusted internet and they get nice, clean, fresh water and they get nothing else. We have schools that want the trusted internet and that gives them a way to provide all the stuff that will help their students and keep the stuff that will hurt them away. And I think it's a, a really coming idea. The trusted internet is possible because we have this security technology. And the security technology is really quite important. It has to have a lot of attributes. It's got to be able to work over a very, very public network like the internet. And it's got to keep any connection that you want to have private. It has to be able to keep it private. And as important as anything else, it has to guarantee that the person on the other end is who they say they are. A lot of people now will send you an email and say, hey, this is your bank. Your bank account has just been compromised and they're trying to take your money. You need to sign in right away and change your password. And so you hurry and you click on the link and it's the, it's the logo of your bank where you always go. It looks identical. But it's not your bank. They copied it off your bank's website. And it's actually the hacker. And they're standing behind their computer smiling, and you see it, and they say, log in, so you put in your password. And then they say, change it, you change it. But it's not going to your bank. It's just going to them. They say, thank you. Then they go to your bank, and they transfer your money. This is called a man-in-the-middle attack. Someone's between you and your bank. They're pretending, I'm your bank. Trust me, I'm your bank, and a security technology must be able to authenticate that the person's really who they say they are. And that is one of the most important attributes of GoldKey, is it gives us that capability. And it's interesting, you can then put this GoldKey on your telephone, on your tablet, on all your computers, and all of a sudden we can get back to law and order on the internet. Yes. So we have a student asking me if I will ask you if um, the students will be able to get a star mail email address. I have in the works, with uh -huh. the big release coming out, a star mail for every Acela student. Wow. Yeah, you'll have, one, you'll, have, you'll have your own account. Wow. And you know, some of the Acela's Academy students have been ordering ID cards. Mm-hmm. And you got them. And they happen to be giving you an account. As soon as we turn the system on, you'll be able to use it to have all these features too. That's wonderful. But please don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's kind of top secret. And it's coming. It's getting really, really soon. Can we show them a picture of the, the signs we put up on top of the gold key tower? Let's do. Yeah, let's do. There it is. And can we zoom oh, up yeah. on that sign way up on the top? There it is. You see it up there? It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's gold key and it's on all four sides. This is the tallest building in this county. And it's right on the freeway and we're very proud of it. And it's gold key and that's hard to see there, but there it is. Yeah. It, looks, it looks neat. Yeah, and I, I want to show a few other things. Okay. Uh, we just invested in a brand new manufacturing line at gold key. We've been manufacturing gold keys for years. And uh, one of the problems that we have is we didn't want to market too many because we didn't have all the pieces of the technology ready to go. And we had a limit on how many we could manufacture. We found out that a lot more people want them than we had the ability to make them. And you got to understand that this has been kind of the history of my career. When we came out with the Billings computer, clear back in the mid-70s, we announced it and I could build 10 a month, and we had 900 orders the first day, 90-month backlog. That was a problem. And so now I try to be a little bit careful and be ready to produce when you sell them. Because when people get excited, they want one, and if they mm -hmm. can't get it, it's kind of bad. Speaking of kind of bad, we're really running out of robots. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was so ready. I had plenty of robots, but we're running out. Oh dear, yeah, it's fun. Sad. It is fun though, because a lot of people are using them. But at any rate, we recently made a very, very large investment and put in brand new equipment to make our gold keys. 
And with the same number of people, we can now build probably 100 times as many of wow. these tokens a day. And I just want to show them okay. the new equipment, can we? This is where we spent all of our money. <laughs> This machine prints solder paste on the circuit boards that we're going to make them with. Good luck, it just squeegees it on and then it inspects it. We show it a little better. So there's a circuit board. Then goes the circuit board down to the next machine. So this is a line and it runs them through from one machine to the other. This is a pick and place machine. This puts parts on the circuit board. And it's really cutting edge technology. This is brand new and very, very fast. And it puts parts on so small you can't even hardly see them. We're really happy with it and it eliminates a lot of labor. And it goes from machine to machine. Each one puts some different parts on and then it goes to a big oven which melts the solder. Well, first it goes through an inspector. The inspector machine goes through visually, make sure every part's in the right place. If somehow we put the wrong part on, it reads it and tells us, because you don't want to solder it until you have everything right. Then we run it through the solder machine, right, Steve? The guy that runs it's right there. Am I getting this correct? And lo and behold, yeah, and, and that's why we're out of money, right? Because you needed all these new machines. There you go. And he's here today telling me we need one more. Oh. We're actually getting a, a big quarter million dollar laser that cuts the boards out after they're made mm. because the water jet one didn't work good enough, right? Mm -hmm. But it's exciting to think that we will be able to do these. Now, we're literally realizing we need millions of these tokens, and we want to be able to keep up with, with the rush. So we have just about everything in place, and you're going to be hearing a lot about this. So think about it. Everybody needs to have a cyber identity. Cyber means it has to do with the Internet and with the world, everything. And if you had one identity that you could use to give you access to everything you want to do or to turn off access if you decide you don't want anything to do with it again, wouldn't that be nice? And if it was really secure and if it was easy to remember and it was easy to access, and this allows you to take all of your photographs and lock them up. And you can see them, you can see them, you put them in, in your vault your gold key vault, you can see them from any device you've got. You can pump your key into a friend's computer. You can see all your stuff, pull it out, and it all disappears. Uh, this kind of technology has been needed for a long time, and we're very, very pleased that it's ready to come online. So exciting. what do you think? That's very exciting. It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. It is. I, I need to make a little disclaimer here for a minute. Um, did you know that a company is managed by a president and officers, and the president is managed by a board of directors? I'm the president of Gold Key. Did you know that? Guess who the directors of Gold Key are? My bosses. <laughs> are you a director of Gold Key? I am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> That's why I'm so nice to her. Uh -huh. okay? uh -huh. Is that how that works? <laughs> but it, it is kind of fun because you have the people that have put up the money to start a company, become, uh, choose the board of directors, and Dr. Monet started her own company that sold marketed networking equipment, and she proved that she was very, very good at that. A company called Comtech Networking. She sold it. She became much more rich than most of us will ever want to be. <laughs> and then she spent all of her money buying my company. That's right. Yeah. It was a good investment. You hope. No, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it is really exciting to have her on the company. And by the way, she is the trademark and branding expert. She is the one that tells me what I should call it. Like if I want to call it Gold Key, if I want to call it gold, I want to get these trademarks. That's what she figures out, is how do you brand it so that people understand what it is. When I decided to make these gold key, I couldn't get the website. And I needed the gold key website. Don't you agree? Yes, I agree with that. And she got it for us. And that would take three 
lectures to tell that about. That was that was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> that was a thing. But we got it. Yeah, we did, and it's really important. So, it is. Goldkey.com. I want you to be aware of what we're doing with Goldkey, and I want you to watch it over the next year because this is going to be Goldkey year, as a lot of things are ready to come out, and I think you're going to find that it's going to become a very, very big deal. And you'll be mm -hmm. using Star Mill, and you'll have your identity, and you'll just say, yeah, I was one of the founders. I was there when it was first talked about. That's right? exciting, yes. It is exciting. It's very exciting. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next time.